Hi, I'm Jess. And I'm Nina. And you're listening to Slice Slice of Murder. Murder. Slice of Murder. Your favorite true crime podcast. Yeah, exactly. We know you wait for Tuesdays with bated breath every week just to listen to us talk. And here we are. (laughs) Gracing your ears yet again on the best day of the year, Valentine's Day. Oh yeah. I know. Happy Valentine's Day. I actually love Valentine's Day. I think it's so fun. Yeah, I think it's such a cute holiday. It is. You don't even have to have a boo thing. You can celebrate with your friends. <laughs> celebrate yourself. You don't even have to have a boo thing at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I really like Valentine's Day. I'm really excited. I mean, we're doing this the day before, but I feel like Still. Valentine's Day is always so fun to go to when you're a teacher because like, there's going to be so much drama tomorrow and I'm so excited. Like, Wait, just last fun. year I was not there. Actually, I was sick last year and I remember... They're like, miss, where were you yesterday? I it, mean, yeah. Yeah. It's so fun. Like, all of the people were setting up their, um, like, little booths. You know how people sell, like, the bears and the flowers and the candies mm-hmm. on the side of the road and stuff like that? Oh, they're there's setting so it up many today. Of them. Yeah, they're setting them up today. And it, I was like, oh my God, I can't wait for, for tomorrow. It's just going to be so funny. Yeah, it's so cute. Yeah. And yeah, this ties into my rose for today. Oh, yeah. Um, so my club that I help is selling Valentine's grams, Uh and it was just so fun to make them all today during club. Mm -hmm. We did, like, the little goodie bags, and then we were pre-selling them, and then we sold out of all of them. Yeah, that happened at my school, too, like, immediately. Like, they sold out in, like, a day. Yeah. I know. Oh, now we know for next year, like, we need to make more. Yeah. Well, that's fun. Um, I guess my rose of my week was that I literally did absolutely nothing this weekend. And you it was did just do something. Nice. Well, we hung out for the Super Bowl. But and like Friday. Oh, and Friday, I guess. Yes, we did. But I don't even count that as the weekend. <laughs> but like over the two days of the weekend, like I feel like I really, over the past few weekends, I feel like we've been going to a lot of places and doing a lot of things. I don't know. Like I just feel like I've been very busy over the past few weekends. And so it was nice just to take a weekend and like not do anything. But I yeah. did like the Victorian. That is another rose. Yeah, me too. Much more than twelve twelve. So if you have a choice to go to the Victorian or twelve twelve, always the choose the Victorian. It's um, literally so fun, and this is not an ad. It is an ad. <laughs> Partner ad. with us. <laughs> you want it to be? It can be an ad. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was fun, but it was just nice to like stay at our house all weekend. Yeah, like Saturday, I did absolutely nothing. I know. I literally, I woke up and then I did one chore and then I went and took a nap. Yeah. And that was like, that's enough for the day. And then I was like, and then I did go and get groceries on Saturday. Yeah. So I guess I did two things, but no, it was just nice. What about your thorn? My thorn is that I have to do my chore after this. (laughs) I have to sweep and mop. And who wants to do that on a Monday night? No one, but it's my fault because I left it (laughs) to be this last minute thing. My thorn, I guess, was... I don't really know if I have one. Nothing really that bad happened for the past week. 
I mean, no, not really. It was kind of just blah. I was just yeah. really tired. But, no, I feel like last week I did a lot that I was happy about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah, nothing strikes out to me. <clears throat> um, Our snack of the week in um, the theme like of Valentine's theme. Day is kisses. Hershey's kisses. Yeah, such a classic. 10 out of 10, I gotta say. Yeah, I gotta say, I don't love milk chocolate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, it, it needs to have something in there for me, like yeah. peanut butter, caramel. Yeah. But either way, they're a classic, so I give it a 8 out of 10. Yeah, I think I'm just gonna bring these to school tomorrow and just, like, pass them out. Yeah, that's so cute. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, I guess we will get into our episode for today. This is another recommended episode by one of our followers, Jules. So, thank you, Jules, for recommending this case. Uh, this is the case of Allison Botha. Oh. Yeah, I feel like I, when I was listening to podcasts about it and, like, trying to find information, there wasn't, like, a ton of podcasts that have done this case and I got most of my information from a documentary that, like, she, Alison Botha, has, like, helped write herself. Um, and I feel like the reason behind there not being a lot of podcasts on it is that it's, like, a very graphic case. Like, it's, like, oh. very dark. But it does have a happy ending because it is a survivor case. Yeah. So she does I survive, like but I, I do think that people, like, don't do it because it's... Mm-hmm pretty graphic i think that just says a lot about her and like what a fighter she is right yeah. to have gone through i don't know exactly what yeah but to get through all of that and then just make it out alive yeah it's pretty impressive and like the fact that like what she does afterwards and everything is like really impressive so it's definitely it was very inspiring to read about her story and like listen to kind of her words um but yeah so i feel like that's kind of why the reason people don't really do it that much is because it's like yeah i'm excited to hear so we'll start off with some trigger warnings um there's pretty much a trigger warning for a lot of things um rape and like graphic descriptions of physical attacks are like the two main ones Mm -hmm. um and there's gonna be like a lot of descriptions of like different things that she went through okay so those are the two main ones but i'll give you the synopsis Um, So, on the 18th of December, 1994, in Port Elizabeth, South Africa, 27-year-old Alison Botha was abducted, raped, disemboweled, almost decapitated, and left for dead by Franz Dutois and Toons Kruger. Um, So, this is a South African case. It's not a U.S. case, which is pretty interesting. Um, And it became, like, the first South African case... Uh, for a couple different things, like, especially during the investigation, it kind of was, like, a landmark case for, like, a couple different reasons. But we'll go into that, into the investigation. And then she was born there? Yes, she was born okay. there. Um, so, like, everybody in this case was born there. Um, mm-hmm. But we'll just start off with, like, kind of her early life. Like I said, there's not a ton of information um, about this case, like, kind of out there. So... All we really know about, like, her early life is what she has shared. So she's born on September 22nd, 1967, to Brian and Claire Botha. She had one older brother, Neil, and when Allison was 10, her parents divorced. She mainly lived with her mother and brother, 
and they lived in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. So this is a place, a town that she's been living since she was little. Um, she spent most of her young years there, and um, growing up, she was very smart and motivated, uh, especially in school. So she even served as like head girl, which is not a thing in the United States, but it's like a thing in like other countries. Like it's like basically like the prefect of a class if you know what that is like it's just like somebody like in charge of the class Mm -hmm. like making sure like president kind of like class president kind of thing um when she was in high school so that's where when she was in high school she served as head girl and after she graduated um instead of going to university she spent four years traveling because she didn't really have a passion on like what she wanted to do so she wasn't really sure what she wanted to study Mm -hmm. or what she wanted to do with her life So she decided not to go to university and instead travel. Yeah, that's honestly such a smart move. I know. Just, like, enjoy your life. Like, why stress about Mm -hmm. what you want to study if you don't know at that time? I think so many people, especially now, are so pressured to go to college, like, right after high school. Or even just go to college at all. And it's, like... Whereas I feel like so many people could find their passion doing something totally different. Yeah, like, who knows, maybe she found her passion through traveling. Right. Or that made her kind of, you know, decide on what her passion is. Yeah, exactly. And she does travel a lot throughout her life. I mean, I'll, like, kind of talk about what she does now. But I can definitely see, like, how traveling when she was younger might have, like, played into her passion for what Mm -hmm. she does now. Um, So, yeah, it's just, I don't know, it just... It was nice to see that she kind of had her own thoughts and acted on her own wills instead of, like, kind of doing what was, like, expected of her. Like, you think of a Mm -hmm. class president, like, they're supposed to go to college, like, you know, right after high school and things like that. But she just sounded like she was very free-spirited and just followed what she wanted to do and, like, followed her own wishes. Yeah, good for her. Yeah. So when she came back home... Um, she started as a job as an insurance broker. She didn't like love this job. Like she didn't like, this is not what she wanted to do forever, but it was like fine. And it like made her happy and she was like Mm -hmm. getting paid and whatever. So this is like what she was doing just in the time being while she was kind of like figuring out, um, her life, you know, in the future. Yeah. Um, so on December 18th, 1994, this is the day of the attack. Um, She spent the day with friends, so a lot of her friends lived in the area, um, and so she often just hung out with them. December in South Africa is, like, the opposite of December here, so it's, like, summer because it's in the opposite hemisphere. That's so cool. Yeah, so, um, you know, really off topic, but I saw a TikTok the other day, and it was, like, this girl saying, like, oh... This set, like, I don't know, she's from Australia or something, and she's like, I'm so sad because, like, Southern Hemisphere summer is ending, and, like, now it's almost going to be time for summer in the Northern Hemisphere, and I was like, I'm so excited. Like, yeah, that just I makes me so summer. happy when it starts to get, like, warmer, like, spring and everything. Yeah, I'm tired of, like, today it was so foggy. It was. It was cold today, huh? Like, a sad mood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, that was really off topic, but I just wanted to share that I was excited for the next couple of months. Yeah. <laughs> so during this day, um, she went to the beach and then she returned home with her friends. So they played games and they had pizza. So it sounded like a good day. Like this was like a good day. Yeah. This is like, I wish I, I could be doing summer. that. I know. And she, um, they were at her house actually, Allison's house. So she really didn't have any reason to leave her house except for one of her friends didn't have a ride home. And so she offered her friend a ride home. 
Um, she was also doing laundry at this house. I was like, relatable, because she didn't have a laundry (laughs) machine in her house, and we still don't have a laundry machine at our house. Yeah, we need to make some friends that are just gonna let us do laundry at their house. Yeah, exactly. So, she was doing laundry at this friend's house, and so she was like, oh, I'll drop you off at your house, um, and then I can pick up the laundry that I was doing and, like, bring it back home. Hmm, that's so So, nice. Yeah. So, she gave her, her friend a ride home, and she brought her friend home, and then began her drive back. Um... When she got back home, it was pretty late, um, and she had to park on her street farther down than usual, so she usually parks pretty close to her house, like within eye, whatever, eye distance, like she could see her house from her parking spot, but this parking spot wasn't available when she got back, um, so she had to park a little bit farther down the street, but it was like still close enough where she could walk home easily, like, it was just like farther down the street, but it wasn't like she was having to like walk like a mile home you know it was like very very close to her house it sounds like our parking here like sometimes when we have to park around the corner like it's not too far it's like a block away yeah but it's just annoying when you're used to parking close right yeah yeah um and so she parked she parked her car and she turned around to reach into the back seat to grab the basket of laundry and she said while she did that she felt a gust of air at her back (gasps) And she turned to find a man standing at her driver's side door holding a knife. That is petrifying. I know. That's like my worst fear. I know. Which and is why I always make sure that the doors are locked. locked. Like, yeah. not saying she did anything wrong, but that's just what I think of I know. every day. I know. Especially, I feel like there is, like, stats that are, like, a certain percentage of crimes are committed within, whatever, 15 minutes of your house, mm-hmm. you know? Because it is usually in situations like this where you feel super comfortable and like you feel like you know you're used to just like doing everything with a routine that you're maybe not like on guard as much as you would be like Mm -hmm. maybe in an unfamiliar situation where you would have like you'd be like oh looking around like oh what's around me you know but it's like if you park in this situation in this like same place every day and you know this street like I feel like you never expect something like this to happen you know So, this man told Allison to move over or else she would be killed, and um, she moved to the passenger side seat. The man said that his name was Clinton and took her car and sped away. While they drove, he said that he didn't want to hurt her, he just needed to use her car for an hour. They'll let her go. I know. Um, And at first, he, like, she said he seemed to kind of be, like, telling the truth because he was being really friendly, like, he was talking to Mm -hmm. her. Um, and he wasn't, like, being violent, so, like, he wasn't threatening her anymore. He just said he, like, needed to use her car to go do something, and then he would take her back to where she lived. Okay. Um, so he said, she said that he was making conversation. He asked her what her name was and if she had a boyfriend. Allison said that her name was Susan and that she had a boyfriend waiting for her at home, which was not true, which was, like, good thinking on her part. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I would have would be able to think that quickly in situations like this, you know, like... I feel like I've done that on Uber rides. Yeah. I don't know, like, this one, I don't know. I feel like that's such a smart move to... Yeah, to lie. First of all, not give your real name, and then second of all, like, be like, oh, somebody's expecting me, you know, Mm -hmm. because if, you know... If that person would be swayed by somebody, like, expecting you, like, you never know, you know? I mean, we'll find out that these people weren't really swayed by that. Like, they didn't really 
Yeah, but maybe they might by be that, like, but, oh, yeah. shoot, like, yeah. they're going to be looking for you mm-hmm. soon. Yeah. Um, so that was his smart move. And Allison tried to convince him to drop her off and said that she wouldn't go to the police. So she was like, oh, if you know, just drop me off. Like, you can have my car. I won't go to the police. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's fine. Um, now, this man was not actually named Clinton. He had given her a fake name and, unfortunately, a fake story of, like, where he was bringing her and his intentions. I feel like, do you think he was doing that to keep her calm? I think so, because at this point, it was only him. So they're going to mm. meet up with somebody else. But at this point, it's basically, like, one and one. And he does have a knife. But I feel like he wanted to kind of subdue her as long as possible. Yeah. Um, and his real name was Franz Dutois. So Franz Dutois was 26 at the time of the attack. He was born in South Africa to two pretty religious parents, and his father was a police officer. His parents raised him with strict Christian values, and Dutois began to lash out against these ideals as he became a teenager. I feel like we see a lot of people when they're going through these ages kind of like lash out against like the values or like whatever Mm -hmm. like if you if your parents think something is important then I feel like a lot of times people will be like oh no it's not important at all you know that's just like like, part of growing up yeah like you're just trying to kind of make your own personhood Mm -hmm. and like part of that I think is going against your religion because you want to make your own choices Or, like, what your parents are telling you, or, like, what they see is important, or whatever. Like, whatever labels have been given to you, I Mm -hmm. feel like part of growing up is, like, going against that. But he kind of took it to an extreme. Um, So, when he was in eighth grade, he set fire to a dorm at his school. Oh, my God. Just to go against his religion? Yeah, or, like, I feel like it was mostly to, like, make his parents mad. Like, I feel like the main kind of, like, like what he wanted from all of this is just to kind of go against what his parents were saying, I think. Um, and so, yeah, he set fire to dormant school, and when he asked why he had done this, he said that he was listening to heavy metal music and that that had influenced him and that there were hidden messages in this song that had told him to set fire to this school. Which is, like, (laughs) such a dumb reason, like, but I do feel like he was trying to, like, be the bad boy, you know, like, the Mm. rebel and... I don't know. Middle schoolers can give the dumbest reasons for something all in sometimes. different ways. Sometimes, like, so I don't know. <laughs> I'm not really that surprised that an eighth grader gave these reasons. Um, so obviously he was expelled from this school. And they moved um, after he was expelled. And he met a girl who claimed to be a witch. He started dating her. And he said that they conducted rituals together and experienced demonic presences and also said that he was possessed at one point. Interesting. Yeah. And this is something that'll come back later. Like, that he claims the reason why he committed this whole crime against Allison was because he was, like, possessed by the demon. Please. Like, okay. Um, he failed ninth grade twice, and later his parents sent him to the army. So, okay. I mean, we see he had kind of a rough childhood but it was not anybody's fault but his own like he was doing a lot of the things that you know kind of like brought problems onto himself Mm -hmm. like nobody told you you had to set fire to a dorm like you just did that so like I'm pretty sure you can listen like what do you even learn in ninth grade 
algebra one yeah like i feel biology. like that's pretty easy <laughs> i feel like it's on, not that hard <laughs> u.s history is that what you learn i don't even no, know i learned geography in ninth grade okay i don't know i did u.s history oh. in ninth grade i never had fun. geography so anyway but i feel like it's not that hard like it's not that hard to pass ninth grade so and he failed it twice yeah. So that's a little bit about Franz. That's kind of his background. We see he's probably not the most mentally stable if he's telling people that the devil made him mm-hmm. do these things. So he took Allison. He ended up taking Allison to a secluded place. Um, it was still within the city of Port Elizabeth. So they were still like within a town that she kind of knew and was familiar with. Um, but she said that as soon as they got to this place, she knew that they were lying to her about not wanting to hurt her. Um, because they met up with Franz's, Franz's friend, Tuns Kruger. And Allison said that when Tuns got in the car, she knew she was going to be hurt because she said that he got into the back seat of the car and she met his gaze, like, through the rear view, the mirror, and she said that, like, his eyes were just, like, pure evil. Like, mm. she knew immediately that he was there to hurt her because yeah. she could just tell from his, like, entire presence and the way that he was looking at her that he wanted to hurt her. That's so scary. Because now there's two people, right? Right. So now it's Franz in the front and Allison in the passenger side and then mm-hmm. Tons in the back seat of the yeah. car. So Franz took Allison and Tons to a secluded road. This was, like, farther outside of the city. So this was, um, like, basically on a road, like, so far out of the city that it had no streetlights. So it was, like, very rural. It was not kind of connected to any major highways or any major, like, points of travel. Um, and there was, it wasn't really close to any location that she knew, so she didn't really have an idea, a good idea of, like, where she was at this point. And when they got there, um, she said that they asked her if she would fight them if they tried to rape her, and she responded no, hoping that it would make them be, like, less mad or less violent. Like, what kind of question? Yeah. I don't, like, what? I know, and it's like, I don't even know what... Like, would... what were you going to do if she said yes? Yes, yeah. And so she said no. Um, she was raped and sexually assaulted multiple times by both Franz and Tuns. Um, and Allison said that during her attack, she just kept repeating to herself that it was okay. Let them rape me because I can survive this. I got this. I can get through this. I can go home and I can go to the police. I can tell my family my parents are going to support me. He is doing this to your body, not you, because he can never really touch you. So wow. that's a quote from her. That's like kind of what she was thinking mm-hmm. during this entire time. So at this point, she's just thinking that they just wanted to rape her and then maybe leave her there, or they were going to drive her back to yeah. her house. Um, but this was not the end of her attack. Yeah. So... After she was sexually assaulted, her attack was not done. Um, the two men, Franz and Tuns, had actually been arrested before for the rape of two other women. And in both of these situations, they had told those women to not go to the police, otherwise they would find them and hurt them. Mm-hmm. But both of these women had gone to the police. Oh, so maybe they didn't trust right. women anymore after that? So they had already gotten... They were out on bail, actually, like when they committed this crime um and they were coming from the point of view that they had already been 
arrested and were being investigated for the rape of those two women. And so they did not want Allison going to the police and adding on to their sentence. So how about this? How about you just not literally do like the crime? I know, like and you don't have to worry about yeah, that. Yeah, I feel like it's, it's a pretty easy. There's a pretty easy solution yeah. to this whole thing. Um, so. The two men didn't want Allison to go to the police, so they attempted to murder her, um, which we see will not work, but she took a lot of pretty terrible things mm. to kind of survive this. So the first attempt, um, the first murder attempt was that Franz tried to strangle her, um, but they tried to suffocate her by putting their hands around her neck and trying to cut off her air supply. Which, it takes a while, like, it takes a pretty long time to actually kill somebody by strangling them. Mm -hmm. And I think that they did not realize, like, how long it would take or with the force that they would have to do it to be able to suffocate her to the point of her passing out and then the point Mm -hmm. of her passing away. Mm -hmm. So she did lose consciousness, like, when you cut off the blood supply to Mm -hmm. the brain, she did lose consciousness but she was still breathing and she still yeah. stayed alive. So Franz and Tons were frustrated with this and frustrated with frustrated with the fact that they um, couldn't seem to kill her. They dragged her out of the car and they like threw her onto the ground on the side of the road. Um, and she was unconscious at this point. Okay. Um, so they then tried to kill her another way. So... Franz had his knife with him that he had threatened Allison with at the very beginning. Um, they, the two men stabbed Allison, and she said she felt it like her be, herself being stabbed at least 30 times oh in the stomach and in the abdomen. And she said that eventually she just stopped feeling any pain at all and was just aware that she was being stabbed over and over. Wow. Which I think is like a common shock response mm-hmm. because your body has so much adrenaline that you don't, like, it stops, it blocks your pain receptors. Like, yeah. you don't have those pain receptors. Like, they're not firing anymore because you're going through so much trauma that your body is just trying to block as much of it as mm-hmm. possible. Like, you're, it's almost like an out-of-body experience. So yeah. you're dissociating, like, right. with yourself. So she said that she could just feel herself being stabbed, but she couldn't feel the pain yeah, of it. Which, crazy. I mean, I'm glad she couldn't feel the pain of this whole thing yeah just the fact that she saw everything right like was she was like lucid for the entire thing yeah 30 stops like she was conscious for the entire the entire thing um and so after she was stabbed i mean they obviously thought that she would have succumbed to those injuries and they would that she would have passed away at this point However, her leg twitched, and they realized she was still alive. So they were, like, about to leave, and then her leg twitched, and they realized she was still alive. Um, And to, instead of, you know, maybe saying, okay, well, whatever, we'll just, like, leave her here. Yeah, they shouldn't have left. Just, like, you know, she probably can't come back from this. Mm -hmm. They decided to finish the job. So to try and make sure she was dead before they left... They cut her throat 16 times. And Allison was incredibly still conscious for all of this. That is insane to me. I know. She was was still present and aware for, like, all of these things happening to her. Again, she couldn't feel those 
mm-hmm. the things that were being but done she was to her. Still aware of everything. Yeah. But she said that all she could see was an arm moving across her face, Ugh. and all she could hear was the sound of her own throat being cut oh open. Oh my god! Which like I couldn't even imagine. No, like, sixteen times. Right. Like what? I don't even. I don't even know what. How you are like aware of that? And don't yeah. like. I don't know. Don't, don't like, panic. Pass out right. Or like. Something. And part of what saved her was that she didn't panic. Like part of what mm. saved her was that she was just. She was calm, like, I mean, as calm as you could be during the entire thing, but she was very, like, thinking very logically. You know, when you panic, like, your heart starts racing faster, you're pumping more blood, Mm -hmm. and then she would have been losing a lot more blood if she was panicking and, like, freaking out, but she didn't, and that's, like, part of kind of what saved her and allowed her to survive all of this. Yeah, just the whole time, it seems like she was calm, Mm -hmm. like, on the drive there. Yeah. And then just everything that they did leading up to that. It's just, like, an incredible show of, like, self-awareness and, like, Mm -hmm. self-preservation. Yeah. So Allison said that her mind struggled to make sense of, like, what was happening to her because she said it felt unreal, but it wasn't. And she said that she felt, she didn't feel any pain, so it almost felt like a dream. Like, you know when you're in a dream and you can't, like, feel the things that are happening? Um, but she said it was like, it was happening. Like this Mm -hmm. was happening to me. This man was slashing my throat, but it wasn't a dream, but it was like very hard to put those two things together. Like the reality of what was happening and her physical feelings of like not being present in her own body. Mm. So she felt like it was, she just felt like it was very difficult to make sense of like what was happening around her. Um, and after they were done. She said she heard the two men talking about her and asking each other if she was still alive. And they said that, quote, no one could survive what had been done to her and that she was definitely dead. Mm-hmm. So they thought she was dead at this point. She wasn't moving. Yeah. She wasn't, um, she was breathing, but we'll get into how she was breathing because it was not like, like normal typical breathing. breathing. Yeah. yeah. So she really like, I mean, she was probably covered in blood, like, they did not think that anybody mm-hmm. could survive this. And it is really incredible that she did. Like, I feel like normally, no. Yeah. <laughs> so the two men threw her clothes beside her, uh, drove away, and left Allison on the ground. She said that she still couldn't feel anything, and she could just feel herself lying on the ground, hearing her own breath, which she said was, like, very ragged. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, almost, like, wheezing or, like, gargling. So that's, like, the only thing that she could hear. And she said that, like, once this happened, like, shortly after they left, she had, like, a very, like, like you were saying, like, an out-of-body experience. So she said that she saw her own body lying below herself, and she was, like, almost floating above it. Like, she saw herself lying mm-hmm. on the ground. And she said that, like, in this situation, she can't explain it. Like, she doesn't know what happened. Mm-hmm. But she said she felt like she could make the decision to either leave or, like, go back into her body. So she's like, yeah, I can't explain it. Like, but this is just like what I remember happening. Like, this is, I don't know if my mind was just like Mm -hmm. coming up with something like to try and like keep me aware and keep me conscious and keep me there. Or if this was like something spiritual, like I have no explanation for it, but this is just what I remember happening. And she said that she made the decision to go back into her own body because she wanted to fight to make sure that, like, these people didn't do this to anybody else. Like, that was her only 
only um, motivation was to, like, make sure this didn't happen to anybody else. And, like, I feel like that is so selfless. Like, the Mm -hmm. only reason you want to survive and, like, go back into your body, like, knowing that... All the injuries. Right, all the injuries. Like, you're going to be suffering so much if you go back into your body and, like, kind of go back into that physical state. But, like, you don't even care because you want these people to get caught. Like, that just... That it's just crazy that that was, and that's what she was. Her motivation, like even before, like right before, like on the very edge of death, like that's like what she was. She was still thinking about like other people. Yeah, that says so much about her. Yeah, she thought about her. So she said she like went back into her body, like kind of like regained physical consciousness, like she was reconnected to her own body, and she felt that she was lying in the dirt, sand, and like broken glass and trash on the side of the road. She said she could feel herself wheezing, like I said before, and couldn't really catch her breath. Like, she wasn't really taking... She wasn't able to take breaths. Um, and she said she remembered the two men's names because they had been talking to each other in the car, so she had figured mm. out that her real names were not Clinton and whatever. I'm so glad Yeah, that. but it was Franz and Tons. And so she wrote those names in the dirt beside her, mm saying that like oh well whoever found me like maybe now they'll have a clue as to like who did this like if they find me and I'm dead then they're gonna have a clue to who did this and she said she the last thing that she wrote was I love mom because she wanted people to know that that was the last thing she was thinking of before she died I know I know sad at the same time like that's what she wanted people to like see as her last kind of memory in this world and like she said she wanted her mom to know that she was like thinking of her before she died um she said that at this point she could kind of like feel herself dying like she Mm -hmm. said it was a very weird like um sensation because she could like feel herself dying but she was also staying awake and lucid which was like very surprising to her Mm -hmm. like that she was still conscious and still you know aware of what was happening to her like obviously she was in like a position on the ground where she couldn't really move and she didn't really know why she couldn't move that well but like Mm -hmm. she was aware of that fact like things were not she was not hallucinating she was not like swimming in and out of consciousness she was like passing out she was just fully conscious so she was like okay well if i'm not dying yet like if i'm still alive right now like I might as well try and fight to live like I might as well try and like survive this whole thing yeah and just the fact that she thought about writing names on the dirt Mm -hmm. like things like that like how are you thinking of that after sustaining that many injuries Mm -hmm. like how is that in your head to do after being stabbed and cut this many times like yeah but just like the self-preservation like literally just like the sense of like survivor ship mm-hmm. that this that she had was insane so she said that she was like off the road so when they did this to her they threw her off the road so she wasn't mm-hmm. on the road she was like on the side of the road she was like in like a field kind of thing like like a ways away like yeah i was gonna ask if this was like a rural mm-hmm. area it is it, it's definitely is like there was no headlight mm-hmm. or no street lights or anything um but there were cars driving along the road ahead it was oh, like good. kind of a back area but they're were people driving ahead. Okay. And she said that, you know, she could see headlights from where she was lying. Like, she could see headlights, like, passing through the bushes sometimes. It wasn't a crazy amount of headlights. Like, there wasn't... It wasn't, like, a main road. But 
She's like, every so often there would be headlights. And she said that she knew um, her only hope for surviving would be, like, a car passing by and seeing Mm -hmm. her. But there would be no way that they could see her from the place that she was at right now. Because it was, like, behind some bushes, and then she was, like, lying down, and there would just, there'd be no way, it was dark out, like, there'd be no way to see her lying where she was right now. So she said that she made the decision to try and get to the road from where she was laying, and she said she tried to feel around her, and then she felt something wet by her legs. She said that she realized that these were her intestines, which had <gasps> fallen out of her stomach because they had stabbed her stomach so many oh my times. God. She, like, I was just thinking of how is, how is someone going to find her? I know, yeah. Like, she's already a superwoman and yeah. is now going to try and walk. Yeah. Or, like, move herself by the road. So, like, I can't yeah. fathom that. I know. I'm like... With her intestines falling out? So, she said that something that had saved her that night is that if you remember, um, she was naked at this point, but if Uh you remember, the men had thrown her clothes out by her body because they Mm -hmm. didn't want any evidence in, like, with them in their car. Like, so they had thrown her shirt and her pants and everything by her. Um, So, she said that luckily they had landed close enough to her body that she was able to grab her shirt and she oh, wow. took her shirt and gathered up her intestines in her shirt and put them back, like, into her oh, stomach and was God. holding her shirt on her stomach. Wow. So she said if, like, this hadn't happened, like, there would have been no way that she could have, like, like gotten up or moved oh. because, like, there would be no- nothing to, like, hold, like, things mm-hmm. with. Um, so she said at first she just used one hand to cover her stomach with her shirt and then the other hand to drag herself along the ground, but she said that she realized she was using too much energy and too much strength, like it wasn't, she wasn't getting anywhere with this, um, she wasn't moving very far, like she was moving forward like an inch at a time, and she said that she knew she wouldn't be able to reach the road before, like, passing out and Mm -hmm. dying, um, because she said she was just using too much energy and, like, she wouldn't be able to do it. So she said she knew if she wanted to get to the road alive, she would not have to crawl. She would have to get up and walk instead. So she said she somehow pushed herself to her feet, but as soon as she got up, she said she couldn't see anything. So she was able to see before. Uh Like, she was able to look around her before. Um, And so she said it was very weird because I didn't pass out. I was still conscious. Like, Mm -hmm. I knew what was going on. I was aware of the fact that I couldn't see anything and that my vision had gone black, but I didn't know why. So she said she put her hand up to her face to try and feel uh, if there's anything blocking her vision or if there's anything Mm -hmm. in front of her eyes. And she said she, when she put her hand up, she only felt a huge wound in her neck. So the only thing that she felt was her open throat on her neck. And she realized she could not see anything because her throat was cut almost clean through and her head was falling completely backwards on her neck. So she said she, like... My jaw is on the floor. So she had no complete throat muscles to keep it upright and so the reason she couldn't see anything is because her head was facing backwards at the sky. Is there anything this girl can't do? Literally. I mean, she got up on her two feet. I know. Like, I can't even... Like, I can't even comprehend what... I was like, oh my god. Oh my god. Wow. So, she was still standing mm-hmm. when she realized this, that her hand was... And she's still staying calm. And she's still staying, like, she's 
Like, I don't, I don't even know. It's just, that's insane. Like, this is, it's crazy. So she had to walk to the road, keeping one hand on her stomach to keep her stomach intact and one hand pushing at the back of her head to keep her head, Uh, like, upright on her own neck. So she said, like, during this walk, she, like, literally doesn't remember how she got there. Like, she doesn't remember the walk. She doesn't, she remembers, like, she fell, but she doesn't remember anything, any specifics, any details about walking to the road. And she says she only remembers suddenly standing on the road. So somehow she got from where she was lying to the road, somehow. But she doesn't remember what the process was Mm -hmm. of that. Like, it it was like she blacked out. She was conscious, but it was like... Her mind has blocked whatever happened, Mm -hmm. like, from her memory. And she said as soon as she was there, like, on the road, she fell down, and she said she had no more strength. Like, all of her energy had been used up getting to the road. And she said that she knew this was her best bet to get help, um, but she was also terrified that her attackers would come back and see her, like, come back and see that she was still alive and that she had moved. So she said that she was, like, equal parts happy that she had gotten there and terrified that they would come back for her and so she said she knew she could not move anymore so she would have to stay here like there was no going anywhere from this spot like this she had gotten here but Mm, she couldn't this is it yeah um so she said that one car she saw headlights in the distance one car drove up to her slowly and almost stopped but it (gasps) ended up driving away and I feel like we've heard, I've heard this in another case as well. Yeah. Like, people, people do this all the time. I mean, I feel like, how could somebody not stop and help her? Like, how could somebody not, like, help mm-hmm. somebody that they see in this condition? But, again, it's, I feel it's like it's also, it like, is, very scary. It is. Like, it's, like, in the middle stop. of the night, like, you don't know what has happened I, you don't I don't you know you, nobody knows who was in that car like it mm-hmm. could have been a teenager it could have been like somebody very young you know like maybe they weren't making the best decisions maybe they didn't like they were mm-hmm. so freaked out they didn't know what to do like this is a very yeah. scary thing to see and this is like a very I don't know that would be a very traumatizing thing to mm-hmm. have to come across so yes on one hand like I and- do I'm like how do you not stop and help this person but it's like they probably thought that she was not alive. Like they yeah. had no way to know that she was like mm-hmm. living and needed help. So I, you know. And what year is this? This was um, 1994. Okay. Yeah. Because that was also when I say like you could call someone, right. but people don't really yeah. have cell phones at this time. Yeah. So um, then another car drove up to her and they stopped. And Tian Elard and his friends got out. So, Tian Aylard was a 20-year-old veterinary student who was, like, kind of, like, vacationing in Port Elizabeth. Like, he was studying at a school in Johannesburg, which is, like, not that far away. But Mm -hmm. he was in Port Elizabeth for, like, kind of, like, a weekend or a night out with friends. Like, it's not really clear. Like, he was, like, on break. but So, visiting the area. So, he was visiting the area. Like, he wasn't from there, which is also incredibly lucky because, like, it's crazy that he was driving down this specific road when he didn't have any reason to be there, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and so while he was driving, he said he turned down that road on the side and he and his friends noticed that there was a figure lying in the road. They first thought it was an animal, but as they got closer and got out of the car, they saw that it was a girl, Allison, uh, completely naked and covered in blood. 
Like you're saying, it's pretty rare that people had cell phones, but one of Tian's friends did have a cell phone, which was, like, incredibly lucky because it was, like, super rare back then. Like, I don't even know if it was, like, like, it wasn't, like, if it was, like, one of those, like, kind of things that, like, you know when people have, like, car phones and they have, like, in their cars? Mm -hmm. Like, it might have almost been that. Like, it was just so rare to have Mm -hmm. a cell phone in 1994 that yeah. it was just like it was just very lucky like yeah that's extremely lucky mm-hmm. there's just certain things in this whole thing that like are just lucky this out. is one of them like this is one of those things that is very lucky the first thing was the fact that they threw her clothes on the side of the mm-hmm. road and then the second thing was like this yeah phone call like that he was able to call for help um so they Tion used, um, he was a, a vet in training, so he used his veterinary training to kind of help Allison reposition her body so that her neck was not as exposed um, and so that her bleeding would be slowed. Mm-hmm. So he also had medical training, which was also lucky because yeah, he, he knows what to knew, do. yeah, what, how he kind of should position her neck to make mm-hmm. sure that she was getting as much air as possible and to, like, how to kind of slow her bleeding um, by, like, okay. wrapping clothes around her cuts and mm-hmm. wounds and things like that. So they called emergency services, like the police in the hospital, whatever. And even though, like, the hospital was only 15 minutes away, the ambulance took almost 40 minutes to get to her location. I don't really know why. Like, there wasn't really a clear explanation as to why it took that long. Like, do you think it was far away from, like... Well, like, if they... They said if they had driven, it would only be 15 minutes. So if oh. they had driven with her, like, in the car, it would have only taken 15 minutes for yeah, them to get to the hospital. Yeah, that is long, then. Uh, um, so... But maybe it's just, like, jurisdictions and, like... Yeah. Whatever. Like, it's different. It's in... It was in South Africa in, like, mm-hmm. 1994. So it... I mean, even in in the U.S., like, in 1994, it would have been different. Like, mm-hmm. it's not as quick responses as it is yeah, now. And then... True. You know, this is in kind of, like, a rural, like, area, like, outside of Port Elizabeth, so who knows. But when she got to the hospital, she was unconscious, so, like, she was not lucid at mm-hmm. this point. She didn't, like, she was really non-responsive, um, and Tian didn't even know if she was, like, still living. So he, when he found her, like, she wasn't able to talk, she wasn't yeah. able to do anything um, except for hold his hand. So that's how she knew, oh. that's how he knew that she was only alive is because he could hear her breathing mm-hmm. and that she was holding his hand. But when they got to the hospital, she was non-responsive. So mm-hmm. the doctors were stunned that she was still living. Like this was, it was yeah. crazy that she was still alive at this point. And she was basically rushed into like 24 hours of surgery. Mm-hmm. So like to try and repair everything that had been done to her. And again, there's another lucky event um by chance the surgeon on call that night was a throat specialist what? so just by pure luck like there was somebody there who was able to like who you know yeah. his specialty was studying all these things in the throat that talk about right. perfect timing i know that. that were able to like be connected yeah. and whatever and like what you needed to talk and to breathe and to you know I didn't, didn't even know they had, like, a throat I specialist. I mean, I always, like, you know, like, ENTs, like, ear, nose, and throat, uh-huh. like, surgeons, but, yeah, just it's just, like, those are, like, I feel like those crazy. are, like, doctors, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so this was, like, another really lucky thing that, like, had happened to her was that this specialist was here because if not, you know, she might have not survived those injuries to her throat. She might have not ever talked again, you know, like, mm-hmm. things like that you just never know. If there had not been somebody specifically trained in how the throat is 
structured and mm-hmm. things like that. So when she came out, doctors reported that, like I said, the very beginning, she had 37 stab wounds to her stomach and pelvic region and 17 cuts on her neck, including one that severed her windpipe and cut her throat from ear to ear. So that's what she was feeling when she stood up was just, she had no, like, it was just a giant wound. Mm -hmm. Like there was no structure to her throat because they had cut it completely open. Um, She learned and doctors learned that like the reason she was feeling weird about her breath like she heard herself wheezing and kind of gurgling is because she wasn't able to breathe through her mouth like so the entire thing she was never able to breathe through her mouth mm-hmm. she was only able to breathe because open, there was right? a cut like right above her collarbones yeah. that was open so was, yeah like i mean and people do that like if you're choking or whatever mm-hmm. you know if there's like something lodged in the back of your throat like you'll do a tracheotomy i think it's called yeah. to like open up your throat so you can breathe um, but that's how she was able to breathe, like, during the entire thing. So they also reported a series of, like, basic, like, basically miracles had kind of helped her to survive this whole thing. So first, like, when they were cutting her neck, they missed all of the blood vessels that connected to her brain. So all of the blood vessels that connected from her heart to her brain, none of those were touched. So this is why she never passed out or lost consciousness Mm -hmm. because she was still getting all of the blood to her brain that she needed to. Um, And you really only lose consciousness when you lose that, like, blood Mm -hmm. supply to your brain. Like, that's how you can, like, make somebody pass out so quickly Mm -hmm. is because you just cut off the blood supply to their brain and then they pass out like this. Wait till these attackers hear that she's still alive. Yeah. Um, so that was the first thing that had helped her, um, like stay conscious and that was what had been her able to, you know, stand up and walk and, and, um, make those decisions like that. Also, uh, the nerves in her neck that kind of supplied blood to her organs weren't harmed. So her organs were able to keep functioning throughout this entire thing because she wasn't losing blood supply to any major organs, Mm. um, that were, you know, vital for survival. Even though she had been stabbed 37 times across her whole abdomen, none of the stabs had hit her lungs, her heart, or any other major organs. They had missed them by, like, centimeters. So oh, my God. So every single time she had been stabbed, it, none, of them went, none of them went through her lungs, so she didn't have a ruptured lung. Mm-hmm. None of them had gone through her heart, which had, would have killed her basically yeah. instantly. And none of them had hit her organs, which mm-hmm. would have killed her yes but like a little bit slower but Mm -hmm. still would have been fatal and finally even though her wounds had been covered in dirt and trash like her entire organs were out on the ground she never developed an infection i was actually thinking that i was like oh she probably got like an infection after but was fine but but not even not never developed an infection any of her wounds which was like insane like that was like in and of itself like a miracle you know like (laughs) It's just crazy because that also could have killed her mm-hmm. very, very quickly. Like in the case that you were talking about a couple of times ago when he, like that oh, man yeah, survived his infection. wounds but then yeah. died of an infection. Um, so it's like pretty fatal like if it happens. And one doctor said that even though she had like such brutal and so many wounds, it was a miracle because none of her wounds were fatal. Mm-hmm. So... Even though, like, she had been attacked and stabbed this many times, none of them was a killing wound. Like, over 50 times she had been stabbed and none of them were 
had hit any vital organs, had hit any vital arteries, like nothing like that. So she made it through surgery. Um, They were able to fix pretty much everything that had been harmed during the attack. Like they said she would be able to talk. I mean, probably not immediately, but she would be able to talk. Um, She was able to breathe like normal. She was able to function like normal. Um, And the only thing that they said might not be okay in the future were her reproductive organs because Mm -hmm. they said that it looked like he, Franz, when he was stabbing her, had intentionally targeted her reproductive organs. So they said that she probably would never be able to have kids, Mm -hmm. but everything else was like in working order. Yeah. I feel like that, I don't know, that's like perfect scenario for her. Right. You know? Like, because... Like, yeah, obviously, it's sad not being able to have mm-hmm. kids, but she's able to talk right. now, like, no brain injury. Right, like, if you have to give up something, yeah, that would you be know, fine. I think that it is, that would be, like, less devastating mm-hmm. than other things that you yeah. have to give up. So, Allison was able to actually identify the two men, like, when she woke up. So, when they woke up, they yeah. kind of, immediately, police were investigating her case, And police had known Franz's name in connection to other rape cases in the area. So, like I said, like, these two men had already been arrested twice for two different rape Mm -hmm. charges. And they were out on bail when they tried to murder Allison. So, the police provided Allison with basically, like, a list of pictures. um, And she immediately identified Franz and she kind of, like, tapped him. It was just a picture of his face. And she was able to identify him, like, Mm -hmm. write his name down. So, they knew that he was one of the people that had done this to her. But she also said that he was working together with a friend and then wrote the name Tons to let the police know that he had been aided in this attack. Yeah. Um, and they were not satisfied, actually, with just her writing them down. Like, the prosecutor was not satisfied with her just writing what? the names down. She, they she said talk. They said that they would, like, need verbal confirmation. Um, and then the hospital, the, the doctors and surgeons were like, oh, but she can't talk. Like, we put a pipe in her voice box and we put a pipe down her like a, a pipe down her throat so she can breathe and so she can heal but like if we take this tube out like mm-hmm. she might first of all never be able to talk again or yeah. like she might die like we don't know what the outcome of this effect are but she wrote that she wanted to try and talk and she was actually able to verbally oh confirm God. like even like right after this surgery had happened she was able to talk and like f- confirm verbally that these were the two men i don't know why it's like had to be verbal like yeah I don't understand what the difference what is the between writing it and like talk? and like saying it. Like I don't understand what what yeah. the difference is. I really don't. Like, like I really don't get something it. Else. Yeah. Like I really don't understand it. I don't like, know. Did you not hear what she just went through? Yeah. I, like I don't know. That was really weird to me. But yeah. she did end up identifying them, and they were able to um, arrest them on attempted murder. They're probably caught so off guard. I know. Like, so what are you talking about? Literally. You know? So when they were arrested, um, they, Franz was, said, asked them, like, why did you lessen the charges from murder to attempted murder? So when they arrested them, they were like, you know, you're being arrested on suspect of attempted murder. And so he said, why are you lessening it from murder to attempted murder? And they said, oh, she survived the attack. Like, can you imagine, imagine, like, that is such a good, like, fuck you to these people, like, just imagine, like, I don't know, I mean, she obviously wasn't there for that, but, like, I don't know, it must have just been so, like, I just shocking wished, for 
them to hear that and like yeah, realize that like, they had not like gotten away with it. I wish they would have gotten like murder charges since they did think I know. they murdered her because that was their plan like, all like, along. I, I don't understand. I feel like I've said this before, but like I really don't understand why attempted murder and murder are different charges because yeah. like you were trying to murder them. Clearly. So like it just happened it di- to be that why she is, is like badass and I like know. made it out. Like I don't understand why it's different yeah. like I really don't like I mean like she didn't die yes but like you were trying to kill her so I feel like that should carry the same weight yeah. as if like it actually happened mm-hmm. so yeah I don't get that yeah <laughs> so Dutuan and uh, Kruger pled guilty to eight charges which included kidnapping rape and attempted murder um and they were both found guilty and they were sentenced to life in prison in August of 1995 okay. Um, and it was, like, actually pretty rare that people in South Africa would be, at this time, would be committed to life in prison, so this Mm -hmm. is, like, one of the first cases where people were, like, sentenced to life in prison, you know, um, and another first was, it was the first investigation in South Africa to use, like, one-way glass to identify perpetrators instead of having victims look at their, like, attackers Mm. in person, so... Before this point, like, you would just be put in a room, and they'd have, like, a lineup of, like, eight oh, people yeah. or whatever, and you would have to go in, and, like, they, mm-hmm. you were looking at them, they were looking at you, and you would have to say, like, this person, this person, mm-hmm. or whatever. But this was the first case where they could bring somebody into a room and separate it by one-way glass, and you wouldn't have to, like, interact with the people who attacked oh. you. Um, so... They had a trial. Um, Allison said that during the trial... She almost, like, disassociated from it. Like, it wasn't really that traumatizing for her. Like, she went in there and she testified against them. Um, But after the trial, she said she had a really hard time recovering mentally. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, yeah, she had to keep going to the hospital to, like, like, keep going through checkups and observations for her wounds. Mm -hmm. And she said that was, like, really triggering every single time because they had to inspect, like, every single one of her wounds. And it was just, like, a lot... Um, she said that she fell into, like, a deep depression and said she felt like part of herself had died on the road and that she couldn't come back from her attack. So she said that even though she had survived, she felt like she had died, like part of herself Mm -hmm. had died on that road and she couldn't ever be the same person that she was before. And she said that she struggled finding a purpose in life and she really didn't know how to move forwards. However, she said that eventually she realized, um, and kind of thinking back over this attack, she said she had to realize she had to fight mentally like she had fought physically for her survival on the road. So she was thinking back to that out-of-body experience she had when she fought so hard to like get back into her body mm-hmm. and survive. She said that she realized she needed to do the same thing like mentally and for her emotional state so that Franz and Tons would not take control of her entire life. So this is when she, about the same time, is when she was asked to speak at an event and tell her story. Mm -hmm. Um, And she said that she was really nervous to do that, but she decided to do it anyway. And she said that when she spoke, she realized that it made her feel better about the whole thing. Oh, good. And sharing her story um, was kind of like therapy for her. Like It Mm -hmm. was very uh, healing for her to share her story and share how she had survived and just like you know, help other survivors through the same thing. So she soon began traveling around the world, uh, telling her story in at least 35 countries. So, like, this is when I was saying, like, Aww. you know, 
earlier, right after college, she had traveled a lot. And, like, I feel like we see the same passion here. She just, that's what her passion is. Like, she just wants to mm-hmm. share her story with other people. And she wants to travel and help other survivors, like, who had gone through the same thing. Or who are maybe going through, like, domestic violence kind of things to mm-hmm. come forward and share their own stories as yeah. well. So, yeah, so like I said, she helped inspire other survivors of rape to come forward and tell their stories as well. And in 1995, Botha won the prestigious Rotarian Paul Harris Award for Courage Beyond the Norm, which is definitely true. Like, it's like courage beyond even like, even like the farthest norm. And she won Femina's Magazine Woman of Courage Award. And she was also honored as her town Port Elizabeth Citizen of the Year. And she said that she realized her purpose was to help others. So before, even right after college, she had been struggling to find her purpose in life Mm -hmm. and kind of find what she was passionate about. And she found that her purpose was basically to help other people. And she said that another one of her passions was to become a leader and a mother. So even though she was told that her reproductive organs had been damaged in the attack and that she probably would never have kids... She was actually able to have two healthy sons, and Tian Ellard, so the man that had helped her on the road, was so inspired, like he was so forever changed by the situation, Uh that he changed from being a veterinarian to becoming a doctor, a gynecologist, and he was actually the assisting doctor in the birth of her second son. Oh, what? Isn't that, that is so, so crazy? Isn't that just so, I feel like that's just so like full circle. Like, he had saved her from dying and now he was helping her bring like another life into the world and just the the fact that she was able Mm -hmm. to have have kids kids. yeah it's just i don't know it's just like very meaningful like that whole thing of like you know they're just so interconnected throughout their Mm -hmm. entire lives and like they still correspond to this day and and how they like influenced one another yeah like it's just it's just so like the amount of um kind of effects that she had on other people and, like, not just herself Mm -hmm. and her own family. You know, it's just insane. Yeah, I mean, it's a terrible way to, like, find your passion. But I'm glad that she was able to Mm -hmm. do this and help others. Yeah. And, yeah, I feel like just kind of inspire others and help with, like, how you said, domestic violence Uh awareness and just tell her story. Yeah, I just, I don't know, like, just the amount of, like, physical, not just physical fight that she has, but, like, mental fight as well mm-hmm. to come back from this thing physically, but also, I think mentally would be even harder to do that, like, come back from that, like, the it would be so easy to kind of succumb to this thing that has forever mm-hmm. altered your life, but she came back from, like, I don't know, everything, everything that had happened yeah. to her. So, since then, um, Botha had written two books. So, she's written two books about her experience. And in 2016, she um, turned one of those books into the movie Allison, which is, like, the kind of documentary about her life. Um, And then today, she is still a speaker. So, she still goes around and gives uh, talks about what had happened to her and raises awareness. Um, Franz and Thuns are still in prison and they're still literally awful people. Like, Franz requested a letter of forgiveness from Ellison. Like, he wanted her to write her le- him a letter. Excuse me? Forgiving Why? him. Why? 
And he also said he wanted a percent of her earnings from her books and her speaking engagements because he said that like she wouldn't have gotten that money without he him. He is dumb. Like and he, she you also, you also happen. wouldn't be like she also wouldn't have been almost dead because of you. So yeah, like I don't <laughs> really. I'm don't. sure she would have much rather. Yeah, not not have lived through that. Had like, gone she through that. It's not like she wanted this. I know. Like, fame. I know. Like I feel like she probably. would rather that you never came into her life at all um and in october 2015 it was determined that they wouldn't be out on parole so that was like their first parole day was like october 2015 but they would have the chance of parole every two years so she's really like gone on to kind of fight against that and be like you know they shouldn't be let out and i really don't think they ever will be because it doesn't show that they have any remorse and then Literally, this happened when they were on bail for yeah. another case. Like, it, I really don't think that... I really don't think it's they're ever going to get let out on parole, but it's just also crazy that it's even the option of being on yeah. parole for something like this. I think it was because in South Africa, when they were um, charged... Like, you know how in the U.S. there's, you know, life in prison without the possibility of parole? Mm-hmm. I think that there is not that option in South Africa. Or oh. at least not when they were charged. Okay. So... There was no, um, like I said, it's like very rare for somebody to even be charged with life in prison. Um, so I think that it was just not really on the table. Like they weren't able to say life in prison without the possibility of parole. So they can say that they're going up for parole every two years, but like it's probably not yeah. going to happen. And that's just not enough time for what you did. To I this know. Woman and, and also, like, to do. Every two years, like, that means, like, I mean, like, if you're going for parole, like, you have to have people come and, like, fight against it. Like, every two years is not that much time in between, you know? Like, you have to prepare victim statements, you have to, like, go to the court, you have to, like, prepare all this stuff to be, like, oh, these people should not get parole because, you know, that's, like, a lot of work to do. Like, every two years, like, that's And it's probably so anxiety-inducing to her to think... Well, there is a possibility, yeah. like even a slight chance that they might be out, be out, yeah. like her attackers. Yeah. So I feel like it's it's definitely I don't know. Every two years was like very shocking to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So I'm just gonna end this episode with a quote from Botha. So she believes like that. You know, you should try as hard as you can to fight as hard as you can, and every single situation Mm -hmm. and she said that quote life can sometimes make us feel like the victim problems and hardships and traumas are dished out to all of us and sometimes they can be divided very unfairly remind yourself that you do not have to take responsibility for what others do life is not a collection of what happens to you but of how you've responded to what has happened to you Mm -hmm. and just yeah she has such a like survivor's mindset of like everything that she's been through Mm -hmm. and I think that's like a main kind of part of a lot of her talks is that it's not about like what you're going through it's about how you respond to it yeah and I mean like I feel like if she can respond to what happened to her in this way in this way with such grace and dignity and just like such a uh, like a fight to survive not only physically but survive like mentally and emotionally and thrive Mm -hmm. in what she's doing now like I don't know. It's just so inspirational for her to, like, be sharing her story to other people. Yeah. I'm like, I will never complain another day in my life. I know. Like, I just... Oh, my God. It was just... But I... I mean, obviously, it's a horrible story, and obviously, like, it's very graphic, and the things that she went through are horrible, mm-hmm. but 
I had never heard of this before I did this case and I'm really glad that like I was able to read about it because it is just so inspirational yeah Yeah, and I feel like she wants people to tell her story if she's going around Mm -hmm. telling others her story yeah like I mean I think she wants it to be shared just to even inspire more people to come forward if they've been sexually assaulted Mm -hmm. like so yeah it's just a reminder I think to all of us yeah. To fight as hard as you can against, you know, whatever is mm-hmm. hurting you. But then uh, that is this episode. Well, I'm glad it had a happy ending. I know. But I was definitely not expecting all of that. It, yeah, it's pretty bad. It's pretty brutal. We need add an extra trigger warning. It's pretty brutal. Like, in the, I know. Yeah. It's pretty bad. But yeah, it does have a happy ending. And, you know, now she has a husband and two kids. I would love to read her book. Yeah, I haven't read it, but I think I just watched the documentary, but Mm -hmm. it's, um, it's, I think it's supposed to be pretty good. And she wrote it, like, I think she wrote it with somebody, like, she didn't write it, like, herself, Mm -hmm. you know, but it's from her point of view, and it's, like, you know, everything that happened to her, so, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, thanks for sharing. Yeah. And thank you, Jules, for requesting this case. Uh, if anybody else has any other case requests, you can go ahead and you can, um, I think we have a link in our bio that like you can click on and it'll take you to the case requests. So you can go ahead and request anything through that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, we will catch you on the next episode next Tuesday. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Yeah. Bye.